Hey there, Diocese of the Rio Grande. I want you to meet Mary Ann Hill, who is the new rector of Trinity on the Hill Episcopal Church here in Los Alamos. Mary Ann, welcome to the Diocese of the Rio Grande. Thank you. So we're here on Eclipse Day. <laughs> Los Alamos is a great place to be for the eclipse, and we'll have some video about that we'll share a little bit later. But Mary Ann, tell us about you. You come to us from Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Did you grow up in Oklahoma? No, I grew up in in outside of St. Louis, but on the Illinois side of the river. Okay. Yeah. And what was life like for you growing up? Did you know that you were called to the priesthood? How, how, when did that happen? Well, I, ironically, it, I know exactly when it happened when I was five years old. We were going to, my mother's from Germany, and we were going to be flying to Germany the next day. And we left on Good Friday. So I know it happened. It was on Monday, Thursday. My dad was tucking me in and uh, making bunny shadows on the wall because it was almost Easter. And I just got this idea in my head that I was going to work for God when I grew up. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and I always loved church. You know, when we'd be in Germany when I was a little kid, I always wanted to go in churches way more than castles and stuff like that. Fascinating. So, yeah. Wow. And so it, it formulated itself as I'm going to work for God. Well, I <laughs> I kept a little Gideon's Bible in my desk, like in the fourth grade, and I would do like weddings for classmates, and uh -huh. or we'd be pretending like we were pioneers crossing the prairie, and I'd do funerals for people that were killed by rattlesnakes and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, somebody'd lay on the ground, and I'd like pretend to do a funeral for them. And <laughs> I used to do funerals for Star Wars figures. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, I've talked to a, it, it's a common thing. I've talked to a lot of clergy, and a lot of us kind of like would pretend to marry people or. <laughs> preach or bear or do funerals yeah. so yeah. yeah it was in you it was in you from the beginning now mm -hmm. did you grow up in the episcopal church no uh, my mother's uh was roman catholic um but when we when i was seven we um my we basically we converted because my grandfather uh was a very staunch methodist and wanted her to join the rest of the family so we did that and um you know it's a good combination of methodist i, I found the episcopal church right out of college Okay. Yeah. And where did you go to college? I went to the University of Illinois. Mm -hmm. I majored in modern German studies, which is actually pretty helpful here because I actually used my German just the other day talking okay. to a experimental astrophysicist who's from Frankfurt. How about yeah. that? I know. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. That's yeah. Cool. So what was finding the Episcopal Church like for you in your 20s? Well, that's also kind of a long story, but I, I went with a friend and I had gone to a lot of churches and... I tried to go back to the Catholic Church and it just didn't, it wasn't taking. And I had a dream that made me think I'm really not supposed to do this. I mean, essentially, I was rattling the gates of the Newman Center, which are never closed, and they wouldn't open. So I didn't, so I thought, okay, well, I'm supposed to do something else. And so I went with this friend and we, I thought this, there was an Anglo Catholic Church, altar against the wall, priest wore a zucchetto and a maniple. And so I thought, oh, here's another, it's like, you know, I, it's like a Catholic church. I'm probably not, but I was cat sitting for a friend and I read this essay in a book and this person was talking about wine as a symbol of adoption, wine and communion wine or the, hmm. you know, as a symbol of adoption. So he t told a story about a flock of sheep at, during lambing season. And in one side of the flock, there's a ewe that gives birth and the lamb dies. And on the other side of the flock, there is a lamb that loses, it's, uh, the ewe dies. So you have an orphan lamb and a childless ewe, and she's got a broken heart, and the baby's not going to, he's going to starve to death. And so the shepherd should try to get them together, but she won't recognize the baby as her own. So he takes 
the blood from her lamb who's died and rubs it on the and i know theologically that's not but at the time it was like oh so when i went back to that church it had a rude screen so the beam across the front and with the cross the crucifixion scene on top and it said underneath it behold the lamb of god that takes away the sins of the world when i because i knelt down to pray and i looked up at that thought uh, this is where i'm supposed to be so wow yeah that's a fascinating image and I ne yeah. i've never heard that story about the mother who might recognize the lamb that wasn't hers yeah through the blood yeah yeah fascinating yeah, yeah. Fascinating. so it worked yeah. at the time yeah well yeah. so then as you came into the episcopal church mm -hmm. How, what was that experience like for you? Were there other young people in the church at that time? Yeah, that was yeah. in the 80s, late okay. 80s. Okay. It would have been 1988. And that church was really quite large at the time. Probably the largest church in that diocese. And there were a lot of young people. Interestingly, nobody spoke to me for four months except the priest. Is that right? Well, it's the Episcopal Classic Church. Classic frozen chosen stuff, right? Yeah. Oh, we got to work on that. I was at the Easter Vigil, and this lady backed up and stepped on my foot at the reception afterwards, and then she had to talk to me because, you know, <laughs> people are it, polite, right? Right, 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 right. exactly. <laughs> so she uh, ended up being one of my confirmation sponsors wow. after that, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but it made me really aware of young people in, in the coming into the church and, and not feeling welcome, so... I would go up to people. I was going up to people all the time saying, hi, I'm Marianne. I'm new here. Have we met? And after about five years, somebody said, Marianne, you're not new here anymore. You've got it. So, but I would just go to people and say, have we met? Because if you say, are you new here? You might embarrass yourself. But if you say, have we met? Then they can either tell you, yes, you've already met or you haven't, but it's not embarrassing really. Yeah. Oh, that's a good so, one. I yeah. Like that. yeah. I got my, I got the other young people and we just started paying attention when people would come to church because it was a university town so and make sure that we took them out to brunch with us and stuff like That's that good. yeah because yeah. university towns are tough because people are always cycling through both yeah. faculty but particularly students and, yeah and they might come you know it's freshman fall and they show up but then they might not show up again or yeah whatever so there's that need to really reach out yeah yeah mm -hmm. so then when did the call i mean the call of the priesthood was early in mm -hmm. you already was it still there in your 20s? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I was in uh, the Diocese of Springfield. And at mm -hmm. that time, they weren't ordaining women. And and I was warned about that. So I ended up being in the process for 10 years before I could go to seminary. Years. Wow. Um, in they, Springfield? Yeah. Okay. They ordained a woman to the priesthood in 1998 for the first time. Mm -hmm. And that's the summer I went to seminary. And, and so what were you doing for those 10 years? I worked at the University of Illinois as an admissions and records officer, which is not quite as fancy as it sounds, but I would basically shepherd graduate students in the German department through from when they'd send a letter of inquiry all the way to when they deposit their doctoral thesis. Wow. Yeah. And use some of your German then, I would guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's good work. Yeah. Yeah. And so you were doing that, mm -hmm. working in the Episcopal Church, mm -hmm. and then kind of in this marathon discernment process. Well, and I was I was a diocesan youth coordinator for four years. Wow. And, you know, you, you find a young person who likes kids, and all of a sudden, boom, you oh, here you. In fact, that's the first time I came to New Mexico. Bishop Holtstrand, hmm. at the time, somebody recommended him to me. And I had just finished reading Death Comes for the Archbishop. And I closed the book and I thought, oh, that's, I really would love to see that cathedral, but I probably never will. 
and that for whatever reason, my parents didn't live out here at that point. They live in Pueblo, but they didn't at that point. And uh, the next day I got a letter from Bishop Holtstrand asking me if I'd be the diocesan youth coordinator. And by the way, there's a conference in Glorieta, New Mexico in a couple of months, if you're willing to do this. So yeah, wow. I got to see that cathedral after all. Yeah, yeah. it's a beautiful one. Yeah. yeah. And if you haven't read Wyla Cather's Death Comes for the mm. Archbishop, pick it up. Yeah. It's amazing in terms of the both an understanding of the history, but it captures the the soul of mm. New Mexico, yeah. I think. Yeah. In a, in a really good way. Yeah. yeah. So ten years discernment. Mm-hmm. You did it feel like waiting? What did it feel like in your oh, heart? Oh, it, it was awful. Yeah. It was really awful because yeah. it was I got uh I had um my rector at the time was an alcoholic. There were a lot of issues going on that I didn't understand. And uh, we got then we got a bishop who said he'd ordain women, but he only ever ordained two in 18 years. Wow. That was Bishop Beckwith. And um, he didn't ordain me. I got uh, picked up by um, Bishop Ed Little in Northern Indiana, which was one of the biggest blessings of my life. He's a wonderful person. But it, I mean, I, I just had all, all kinds of really awful things that I had to contend with, but I really, I felt like God was, this is what God wanted me to do. And I wasn't going to waver from that. Mm-hmm. And Psalm 27 sort of became my rallying thing because it, it was, it starts off with. The Lord is my light, my salvation, whom then shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. <laughs> then shall I be afraid? And it ends with, what if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? O tarry and await the Lord's pleasure. Be strong and he shall comfort your heart. Wait patiently for the Lord. And I did. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, at one point, my rector said to me that I was like the 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 woman, the importunate woman, the woman that going back to the judge and pestering him. And I looked at him and I said, and who's the unrighteous judge? <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, you've been a truth teller also. Well, in he, your life. he didn't yeah. mind. He, he yeah. was okay. I mean, he actually laughed when I said that because he, he walked right into that. Yeah, but, right. Yeah. He opened that door. Yeah. 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 Well, and there is something yeah. about faith. You know, so, sometimes I think we, in popular language today, talk about faith almost like it's belief in a theory or mm. something. Yeah. You know, like, do you believe in Santa Claus? Do you believe in God is kind of like, do you, do you sort of believe in fairies or something like that? It's like, mm, it's like yeah. an assertion of truth when obviously it's not true or something like that. Yeah. But, but the way Psalm 27 talks about that sense of, it's almost like I'm willing to keep looking for something that I deeply yearn to be out there or something. Mm-hmm. Like, how did your faith in all that waiting? interpret Psalm 27 for us in terms of how it hit you, you know? Well, you know, it, it talks about enemies. And I think a lot of times we we read, and particularly the Psalms, in the historical context, there are some pretty drastic and hard things in the Psalms. Mm-hmm. But I thought of it, I didn't think of it as my enemies as the people who opposed women's ordination. I thought of it as just this difficulty I'm going through. But I've also told people like going through my dad, that's I think my dad's favorite Psalm too. And he's had cancer for since 2009. So I think that you can take that what's the enemy thing and extrapolate that out to the things that you're dealing with in your life. But Any kind of 
opposition or struggle yeah. that you're going through. Yeah. But there's that line, um, you speak in my heart and say, seek my face, your face, Lord, will I seek. Yeah. And know? it's a seeking. Yes. Right? I mean, the faith to yeah. me is not an assertion. Yeah. It is a seeking. Yeah. Right. It is a willingness to go on a journey. Yeah. Without knowing the end. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to go ahead and walk yeah or i'm gonna seek i'm gonna look yeah right and and that to me is the spiritual path mm -hmm. is not about because i think sometimes people will say stuff like you know when did you accept jesus as your lord and savior <laughs> as if that was a moment and then after that it's all yeah done right whereas yeah. i'm still looking yeah i'm still seeking i'm still learning and to me that's where the joy comes mm -hmm. actually is in the search yeah yeah wow so then ordination happened Eventually. Mm -hmm. Eventually, yeah. And where'd you go to seminary? I went to Sewanee, okay. which is also a big blessing. And ironically, uh, part of all this is one of the students I met that came to that church who we took out to brunch was a theoretical astrophysicist. And um, we became friends and spent a lot, a lot of time together. And his, I had thought I was going to Neshota House because I was Anglo-Catholic, which would have been miserable at the time because, again, women's ordination, still not really a accepted too well but in fact i actually bought a wool cassock thinking i was going to wisconsin and i went to tennessee instead and but his mother was teaching there and he was an alumnus of the college as an undergraduate and it, that all fell into place too i mean there's all these stories where things just fell into place and once i got there i kept running into people that had weird connections to me really strange ones like this one couple, they they got married in my church in Champaign. I met them at Sewanee in Tennessee. They got married in my church in Champaign. Their first apartment building was this apartment building the astrophysicist was living in currently. And <laughs> the husband was my dad's cousin's roommate in college at the University of Illinois. Wait, They were in the same your, fraternity. Your dad's roommate's cousin. No, my dad's cousin's roommate. Your dad's cousin's roommate. So my second cousin's wow, wow. Roommate. college roommate at the fraternity was this man that I met. Yeah, But I kept running into all these people. I had these really odd connections. A guy that went to my high school, but then had moved to North Carolina. and But it was just weird. I kept, and I'm like, okay, I guess I'm in the right place. Yeah. 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 But it, it turned out to be great. Yeah. And so then, and then you went to Northern Indiana. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. So tell us about your ministry career and like how that's unfolded over these years. Um, well, so I was in Northern Indiana for a while, just actually 14 months. Oh, I was there during 9-11 and that was... I remember that day. Uh, yeah, that was really scary. I mean, you know, we're, I just thought stuff was going to happen in Chicago because we we're close to Chicago and it, but... Chicago. I was serving in a church uh, in Chicago. Yeah. I mean, you, you see and, all this stuff happening yep. in big cities and you think mm -hmm. it's going to come here. And then, then I went out to Freeport, Illinois, which is two hours west of Chicago, and it's a small town. It's in decline. It was in decline then, too. At one point, they had all kinds of industry. They were called the Hartford of the Midwest. But it was in decline, and people were kind of depressed. And it, was, it wasn't easy. It really wasn't. Way different small town than Los Alamos. This is a very lively place where a lot of things are going on. And, but it was a good, you know, good place for a first call. Mm -hmm. and, and then... I got, I got, well, I'd been praying. I was hoping to go to Germany and I was in, in uh, contact with the Bishop of the, uh, the Episcopal churches in Europe. And he had appointed uh, me to Frankfurt and Wiesbaden. Mm -hmm. And I, and I thought, oh, this would be great. I'll come by my German. I'll get to, you know, be a priest, all this stuff. 
So I went to, but I got this call about this church in Tulsa. And so I followed kind of through the process and they brought me out there and I just felt at home mm. with these folks right away. It's like they weren't strangers. Mm -hmm. So we went through the whole time together and I got home on a Friday and there was a message on my answering machine from the senior warden in Frankfurt asking if I would call and do a phone interview with them. But I also knew that the people at St. Dunstan's were going to, the, the vestry would be voting on Sunday whether or not to call me. So I waited till Sunday and I got the call from St. Dunstan's and I, I knew that was, I just felt like that was where I was supposed to go. And the senior warden from Frankfurt, I called her and she's this nice English lady. And I said, ma'am, I'm really sorry. I've just accepted a call to Tulsa. And she said, Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it was, the Diocese of Oklahoma is a great diocese. It's not a, always an easy state to be in, but, but it, and it's very, very hot in the summer and not in a good way, humid too. And there, but it was, it was a good time. 14 years, we started a Spanish mission, which was the big, the big thing, which is now its own, its yeah, own. Tell, tell me yeah. a little bit about that. Like how, how did that get started and, and how yeah. did it grow? Yeah. Well, my congregation said they wanted a multicultural ministry. And I thought, well, we're in South Tulsa because I, you know, I would think I was in the grocery store for two weeks before I saw an African-American person. Mm. And so I thought, how are we going to have a multicultural ministry in South Tulsa? And I kept praying about it. They all knew that we should do this. And I'm the one that was like, I don't know how we're going to do this. And I was driving down, to, I was driving to church one day and there were some guys out doing landscaping work and they had hats on and bandanas and stuff. And I, all of a sudden it occurred to me that this was almost like apartheid. Mm -hmm. We yeah. had all these people around us working, doing stuff like putting roofs in our houses and landscaping and, and working in restaurants and hotels and stuff, but, but we acted like they weren't even there. Like invisible. I mean, yeah, and it was, and, and then I, and that was the thing when I was in college, because I was in college in the 80s, so apartheid was the, the big thing, world thing that we were concerned about. So then I started thinking, well, wait a minute, we've got Spanish speakers in our church. And when I started counting them up, we had about 20 people already. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And this one woman had been coming. She was a doctor from Mexico City who'd married a former classmate in Tulsa. She really didn't speak English, but she came all the time and <clears throat> all, to all the Holy Week services and things. And what I found out was she had been divorced. Her husband had been divorced. They couldn't go to the Catholic church, but she'd very faithfully gone to the Catholic church the whole time up until she got remarried. Her grandfather was an Episcopalian from Pennsylvania who moved to Mexico city. She still had his prayer book and him wow. little bitty wow. 1892 yeah. prayer book and yeah. stuff. So she saw our church and realized that we were a connection. Mm -hmm. And so we, we planned and everything. And, you know, it's one of those, if you build it, they will come. So the first Sunday, we ended up with 35 people. Wow, that's a great start. Well, and after a year, we had 60 mm. and regularly had 60 on a Sunday. And then... And what time of day did you do that? It was at one o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. Yeah, mm. one o'clock in the afternoon. Not, not the greatest time, but we had two English-speaking services in the morning. And we've talked about if we could shuffle things around and maybe make it a little bit later, but... But they still came and we would have these long lunches afterwards, long, long lunches because, and it was great. And the food was, as you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was really great. And the community yeah. that, that sometimes comes yeah. in those leisurely times. Yes. Yeah. 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 
And I think what was great about it was they weren't able to contribute to the church financially, but they brought this level of vitality that was mm, life and, oh, and kids. Yeah. And, yeah. And we, the best one, times we, th I think we had were uh, there were a couple of years when we did a bicultural Thanksgiving. Mm. And so we'd have pozole and then we'd also have turkey. And yeah. it was, I, well, I suppose you could have turkey pozole, but we, it, it, people, I just told people, bring a dish from your culture. I like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. so, you know, that was in the, everybody would sit, you know, mingle together and stuff like that. And, yeah. and we'd mix up traditions. So we'd do the hanging of the greens and then have a pinata afterwards. And, yeah. you know, wow. yeah, it was really I fun. Love I love that. Yeah. And so you served that church for 14 years. Yeah. Is that right? Uh -huh. Yeah. Wow. It's a little bit too yeah. long, but because of COVID, I didn't want to leave them in the middle of. Yeah. Yeah. And how was COVID for you and for them? Like what, how did you navigate through all that? Oh, it, you know how hard Not it easy. was. Yeah. yeah. The worst thing was that our organist choir director was actually a Christian scientist and he had never been to a doctor in his life. He was 63 and was a marathon runner, but we figured out he had had COVID that must have weakened his heart. And a couple months later, he, he had a heart attack while he was running oh, my goodness. and his wife found him. Oh. I couldn't go to the hospital. Because right, at this point, it's June. Hospital. Yeah, yeah, June 2020 wouldn't let me, they would I mean they wouldn't let me in. And he died in the hospital after about five days. Mm. So that was devastating. Oh, that's heartbreaking for yeah. the whole community. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. And then people couldn't come for a funeral, so we yeah. had to do televised. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was really hard. And he'd been with us for 10 years. So everybody knew in the choir oh. and the, oh, yeah. no, I can imagine. Yeah. Wow. But it, a lot of it's. some of the things you know, about we couldn't grieve in our normal way. Yeah. You know, the, couldn't have the funeral and the reception mm -hmm. after and, you know, those sort of things yeah. that, that help the community carry the weight of loss. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so we learned how to do online stuff mm -hmm. and video stuff. Yeah. How did that go in, in, at St. Dunstan? I had this great guy, and he is currently the senior warden there. He was, at the time, probably in his very early 30s. And so we knew by Tuesday of the week, is that the, was that the second week of March? Mm -hmm. We knew by Tuesday that we were gonna have to be online. And I, I called Chaz and I said, okay, what do we do? And he <laughs> says, do this? well, yeah. he said, we need to get tripods and we'll, we'll use your iPhone to, to we can do live, uh, live streaming on Facebook and YouTube and we'll use your iPhone and my iPhone and then we'll figure it out after that. Well, and of course, then we ended up with the camera mounted in the ceiling and, the, mm -hmm. and, and you know, better microphones. And he had a little monitor down in front of the modesty panel in front of the first pew. And I would every Sunday kind of straighten my stool. But you got to pull it in the other, <laughs> the other <laughs> side because it's not what, you know, sort of mirror image. But, but he did great. And, you know, it's there, there were frustrating parts of it because, you know, I, at first it, I felt really self-conscious and, and I still really don't like wearing the, the over the ear microphones, but, but we do it because it helps people. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, there's some people, I had this one woman who is perfectly able-bodied, probably about my age, who said, oh, well, you know, it's really nice to drink coffee in your pajamas and, and watch church. And I said, well, yes, but you don't get... <laughs> So she, they did eventually come back to church, but, but I think about the shut-ins that, yeah. you know, yeah. they used to say, oh, we'll, we'll watch the big downtown Methodist church in Tulsa. 
they they are on cable TV. Yeah, 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 and and now they can watch their own church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah initially, I vividly remember people were saying, you know, the older people will be completely cut off, and in fact, the reverse has happened. Yeah, and in a number of our churches, we're still doing this not to reach the Facebook cords, uh-huh. but because people who are not able to come. Yeah. Can, and they've said to me, Bishop, I, before it was wonderful. Someone would bring me communion once a month, mm-hmm. you know, and I'd watch the Methodists mm-hmm. or the Roman Catholics on cable TV yeah. or whatever. But now I can be at every service. Mm-hmm. I can do the Bible study. A couple are in EFM that, you know, you don't have to leave your house yeah. and you can and you can be really participating. Yeah. And and one of them told me, and they still bring me communion once a mm-hmm. month, but I feel like I'm, you know, I know people. Yeah. Yeah. And then we figured out how to do community with like online coffee hour mm-hmm. and stuff too. And I was also surprised when we were starting to be able to come back in person. There were two or three of our congregations that in, that said, we miss online coffee hour. Yeah. And I thought, that doesn't make any sense <laughs> at all. But they said, the format is different. Like mm-hmm. when we were online, we would go around the Zoom room and everybody would share a prayer request and talk about how they were doing and what was happening with their family. If there were worries or concerns, we would know about that mm-hmm. and pray for each other and, and then be eager next week to find out what was happening. They said once we started back in person, it was, you know, you got your cup of coffee and you went and talked to the people that you already know and then you went home. Yeah. That yeah. didn't have the emotional depth mm. the the personal connection strangely that zoom allowed so yeah there are some places that still are doing a kind of zoom fellowship mm-hmm. yeah so we've learned we've learned a lot yeah we've learned a lot well so tell me about how you found it sounds like right before covid you were starting to feel like maybe it's time for me to look for a new call how did you find this one well, Dean Christy Malden is, was a friend of mine. We'd been in Tulsa together for about 12 years. And she told me a year before I started looking in earnest, because I, again, it was because of COVID. And she said, well, let me back up. I was a candidate for bishop in 2021 uh, in the Diocese of Springfield. Ironically, the one that wouldn't ordain me 20 years ago. And actually, I was one of the final three and got 40% of the vote, which I'm glad I didn't get elected because that would have been really hard, but because it's a very, very poor diocese. But it, I feel like it helped move them mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. forward again, you know, at that point. Well, so anyway, I, she knew that that hadn't happened. She called and, or, and told me, she said, you really ought to take a look at Los Alamos. And I thought, well, no, since I didn't get elected, I'm just going to stay here because we're still, you know, under COVID restrictions and stuff. A year later, though, so this would have been like last November mm-hmm. or December. I looked online and they were still looking here. And so I sent an inquiry to our search chair, Bill Godwin, and he wrote back to me. And then I, well, no, actually, no, I sent him a letter of inquiry. And I, I just thought about all of my, th- all the things that might, and including that I, you know, had been this friend with this astrophysicist and stuff. And he yeah, he contacted me and he told me the letter blew them away, hmm. which was okay. That's good. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. And but then we interviewed on the phone and stuff, and they brought me out here. And again, I felt really comfortable here. But because I'd worked at the University of Illinois and I lived on the engineering campus, it's a huge engineering school. They have the Na- National Center for Supercomputing Applications. So my roommates were 
I actually had a nuclear physicist roommate, but we also, they were engineers and scientists and computer scientists and things. And so I was used to that kind of nerdy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it, it, somebody described this town as like a college campus for grownups. I like that. Uh, I yeah. Like that. Yeah. You know, and so it just, everything sort of kind of clicked together in a good way. And then my parents are only up in Pueblo, so they're only four and a half hours away, so I can see them. I'm just an afternoon drive to yeah. go see them. Yeah. So yeah, everything, that all worked out really well. Met, met you. and But then when I got here, of course, we've had this housing problem that I've been dealing with. Right, because Los Alamos is really... Uh, crunched for housing. Yeah, yeah. there just isn't nearly the lab is enough. expanding yeah. in, in, in huge ways. And it's plateaus, so where do you, where do yeah. you build? Yeah. You know? yeah. But fortunately, as you know, this has just gotten resolved and I'm been Yes, moving. you finally can open some boxes. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, but it, I love being here. This is, just, this is a great place. And I get a kick out of, out of it all the time, just the things that happen here. Like right now, somebody wants to rent my apartment, and this is where I used the German the other day, this experimental astrophysicist, I told the appraiser for this condo I'm buying, we were talking and he said, oh, could this person rent where you're living now? And I said, well, maybe. And so I said, good, give him my phone number. Well, that evening he calls and he's from Frankfurt and we were, we ended up speaking German and then we're texting in German and then everything fell into place for him to find a place to stay. But it's like, where, where else does this stuff happen? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I told you about the, the evening when I, we're at Fuller Lodge and uh, the girl comes out and, and starts talking to me. It was a big band concert and dance. And this girl comes out and wants to see my little corgi. And she's from Scotland and we start talking about Anglo-Saxon history. And then her boyfriend comes out who works for the European uh, Space Agency making spacesuits in the Shetland Islands. <laughs> I'm like, where else in the world yeah, am I going to... kind of connections yeah. happening at a big, at a yeah. big band swing concert yeah. of, all, of all things. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's, it's really neat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, as you know, Train Down the Hill is close to my heart. Yeah. This is my home church. Went to Sunday school right down the hall mm -hmm. there and confirmed and acolyte mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so tell me, how, how are you... You've been at Train Down the Hill mm -hmm. now for how many months? Came the beginning of May. Beginning of May. Yeah. And so what are your first impressions and of the place and the people? And the... Well, it's very, it's interesting because people are really engaged with the sermon. So I get a lot of times after church, people will come through the handshake line and say, can you tell me where, who that quote was from? And can you give me more information about this or that? Or And so, which is both, in fact, a lady told me the other day, she said that, what if we were talking about where do you find God in the service? And she said in the sermon, <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh no pressure, no pressure. Well, yeah. So anyway, but it's it's neat too because there's a there's there are a bigger age group here. We have more young adults that are new. We you know new crops of young adults coming in. That sounds weird. A new crop of young adults comes in pretty regularly because they hire a lot of new PhDs and stuff. And um, I, there's a young man here who came over the summer, who grew up in the Episcopal Church in East Tennessee in Knoxville and went to Episcopal school. And so he, he, of course, came here. There's no competition up here. There aren't any other Episcopal churches in, or Anglo, you know, breakaway Anglican churches. So this is the place. Yeah. And one of the things I like about this is the place kind of thing is that this is when you have to have everybody together who might 
choose to separate themselves into different little contingencies and go to various churches based on here everybody's together and we have to get along yeah yeah and and so you yeah. have to really work out those yeah liturgical style choices and the fellowship things and the yeah. outreach projects like it's everybody well and it's not just that it's like where people fall on the political spectrum and, right. and theological spectrum and but that's my wheelhouse i'm good that's always been something i've been good at so yeah, yeah. so i told in fact i told told somebody the other day i you know i would say sometimes i feel like the old woman in the shoe that had so many children she didn't know what to do and i have to make sure everybody gets along that's you know <laughs> that's part of what but, you do is yeah nurture a community yeah. yeah yeah that's so, great that's yeah. great well we're about it's solar eclipse day mm. and yeah. and so tell us tell us what's about to happen so the whole town i think most of the whole town is going to be out here at the high school in the courtyard and there are all kinds of booths it's sponsored by the library and the los alamos high school astronomy club there are all kinds of booths um, everybody's getting eclipse glasses if we don't already have them they're going to have uh, telescopes set up with filters on them there'll be a, a giant screen where you can watch the eclipse on the screen we're it's going to be a giant geek fest so. that's going to be fabulous <laughs> and there's some music Yes, the Hill Stompers. The Hill Stompers is an adult marching band. Or, you know, it's sort of people who played instruments in high school or college. And they're great. They're really uh -huh. great. Everybody loves it. They start playing Sweet Caroline and everybody. <laughs> Sings along. Oh, yeah. I love it. I yeah. love it. I love it. All yeah. right. Well, I'm looking forward yeah. to it. It's great to have you here in the Thank diocese. Thank you. And, and looking after Trinity on the Hill. And mm -hmm. we'll bring you some video from the party that's mm -hmm. about to happen. Yeah. Great. All right. Okay. Good job. Uh -oh. That was when I checked to make sure the audio worked.